the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Kirk Elliott, PhD. In an uncertain economy, if you're looking for wealth management solutions and financial advice, go to KirkElliottPhD.com and make an appointment today. Coming up, I'll discuss the key feature of police states that can now be seen in America with a specific focus on political prisoners. Investigative journalist Julie Kelly, who's featured in the movie, joins me. We're going to talk about Trump. We're going to talk about January 6th and other things. Hey, if you're watching on Rumble or listening on Apple, Google, or Spotify, please subscribe to my channel. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Show. America needs this voice. The times are crazy. In a time of confusion, division, and lies, we need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast. Last night was the big opening day of Police State, and boy, uh, the reviews are coming in, and they are fantastic. We set kind of high expectations for the movie. The trailer, of course, was really powerful. And so people came expecting to see a heck of a movie, and I'm really glad to, to say, to be able to say that they did. They, uh, so many reports coming in from around the country, people just mesmerized by the film, deeply moved by it. I've heard a number of reports of like people crying in the theater at the end of the film, people also applauding the closing scene, which involves basically a bunch of January 6th defendants singing the national anthem, has other, has the audience joining in, but joining in not just jubilantly or triumphantly, but also with a sense of poignancy and sadness. This is the overwhelming intellectual and emotional, perhaps even moral effect uh, of this uh, of this film. Now, why is the film striking such a chord? Well, I think it's because it has a lot of new information and it also puts the story together in a way that hasn't been done. We're familiar with censorship. We're familiar with Trump, targeting of Trump, political targeting January 6th. But to thread all this in a way that that brings a single point powerfully home, I think that is the real uh, strength of this movie and of the team that helped to, you know, I get 90% or 99% of the credit, but it's not fair because it's Debbie, it's Bruce Cooley, my friend and partner, it's a bunch of others. We're all kind of in this together and we put this, um, this is a, a kind of a team, uh, a team enterprise. The other thing that films do, and this film does well in particular, but films in general do this, and that is show, not tell. It's one thing to tell someone this is what's going on, and there's a certain emotional reluctance to believe it. Why? Because you don't feel it. Now, obviously, the people who have felt the police state, who have experienced it, hey, there's a helicopter over our house. What's going on? There's someone banging our door. Oh, my gosh, our door has been kicked in. When that happens to you, you change. You realize, wow, this is a different America I'm living in. But if it hasn't happened to you and people just tell you about it, you're like, yeah. Uh. 
but we, but what a movie can do is have you experience it. It's the next best thing. It is, it is a vicarious but very real experience of see, seeing people describe what happened to them. And then they show you the body cam footage, the surveillance footage, or we recreate it with clinical accuracy. By the way, we hired a couple of FBI consultants to help us with this movie so that our recreations will be so vivid and so on point that anybody in the FBI or DHS or DOJ or law enforcement watching the movie would be like, "Uh, yeah, that's that is the way it would go down. So so this is a movie with a with a great deal of authenticity uh, to it. And um and, uh, you know, I can't deny that another element of this is just the way it is shot, the cinematography, and finally the music. Music is a, almost the, it's the emotional track of a movie because it, in a sense, instructs you through music. A marvelous thing that music can do kind of tells you how to feel about what you are seeing in the film. We pay a lot of attention to music. Actually, Debbie, who's been a musician most of her life, she was actually singing on TV and a show in Venezuela at the age of three so Debbie collaborates with the guy who does our music. His name is Brian Miller. He's really a musical genius. So the music in this film, uh, and particularly the closing song, has Brian's Brian's orchestration and Brian's work, but Debbie's fingerprints are also uh, all over it. The movie is um, in theaters one more day, which is tomorrow, Wednesday, October 25th. So if you can see it in a theater, that is the way to see it. I, we make these films for the theater. It's very cinematic. The people who see it in the theater have a unique type of experience. So if you can go, you should. Go to policestatefilm.net, put in your zip code, boom, the theaters around you will pop up. The theaters have been selling out fast, but there are tickets available for tomorrow. So absolutely go if you can. If you can't go... There's a fallback option, and that is you'll be the first person to see the nationwide screening of the film. It's the virtual premiere. What we mean by virtual premiere is we're going to show the film, and you can watch it online. You can watch it from home, uh, and you can watch it with your family. So you're, you're getting the full experience for the price of buying a ticket, buying a movie ticket. So again, the tickets for the virtual premiere are at policestatefilm.net. You'll see a little tab that says virtual premiere. You click on the tab and you can buy a ticket and you're good to go. Uh, the cool thing is for Giado Blow, uh, his song, Police State Survivor, is the closing song in the credits. But he's going to open the, um, the evening by performing that song live. Then we show the full movie. And then Dan Bongino and I will have a Q&A to follow. So all of that for the price of a movie ticket is actually a great deal. We do it out of a spectacular studio in Las Vegas, but you are watching and participating, participating in the sense that you can offer comments online and we will see those up on a wall. And those might be some of the questions that we that we talk about. So it's like a giant Zoom meeting, says Debbie, except with 2000 meals, we had 80,000 people. We're going to have a big number again. It's going to be a marvelous experience. And you're going to be the first people on a nationwide basis to watch this film digitally virtual premiere on Friday, October 27th. Once again, it's policestatefilm.net. Mike Lindell just keeps on introducing great deals. He's featuring the new My Towels. Now, save 50% on the six-piece towel set. The regular price is $59.96, but now for a limited time, 
$29.98 with promo code Dinesh. Debbie and I have Mike's My Towels all over the house. We love them for ourselves. We also like to get them as Christmas presents, so there's an idea for you. My Towel 6-piece set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, two washcloths. The long staple length of the shipper cotton fibers makes these towels very soft because of the long fibers. They wrap around each other more easily, creating a very smooth and soft fabric. The soft to the touch without the kind of lotiony feel. And they're also super absorbent. So take advantage of the 50% off on the six-piece towel set. Call 800-876-0227. The number again, 800-876-0227. Or just go to MyPillow.com. Make sure to use the promo code D-I-N-E-S-H Dinesh. Guys, I'm really thrilled to welcome back to the podcast uh, my friend Julie Kelly, investigative journalist, also featured in the new film Police State. She's been covering January 6th and the court hearings and all the stuff around January 6th with a rigor and a clarity that I think is unmatched. Um, Julie, welcome to the podcast. Um, Hey, I hear that you went with some friends to see the movie last night in suburban Chicago. So uh, tell us about that. It was great, uh, Dinesh. And first, I just want to thank you and Debbie. I feel so honored to be part of this important project. So I'm so grateful for you uh, including me in it. So we had a little pre-party and we were at the theater in Yorktown Mall, which is uh, in DuPage County. It's county just west of Chicago. Uh, it was where I was raised and cut my political teeth, actually worked for some uh, elected officials there. Used to be a solidly red county and uh, just elected their first Democrat chairman of the board. So it has one of those more upscale suburban areas that we've seen trend, unfortunately, towards the Democrats. Anyway, uh, two theaters there to uh, the 630 show was sold out. Our show was seven o'clock. It was also sold out. Um, just really a lot of patriotic uh, feeling in the theater. People were shocked. They were heartbroken. They were outraged at what they were seeing. Uh, at the end, uh, m- most everyone sang the national anthem because, of course, that's how you close with the political prisoners. Some people were standing. So uh, it was very well received. I think this film is so important and will be, of course, an eye opener to millions of Americans who might have heard a little bit about what the FBI and DOJ are up to. Uh, but we'll see, uh, you know, as you've presented it. We'll see exactly what is happening, the reality of the situation and the dangerous times that we live in right now. You know, Julia, I think that I've tried to remember my first impressions when I came to America. This is a whole generation ago when I was a teenager. But I think one of the defining qualities of America is a certain type of aw shucks, you know, innocence. Even Reagan had a little bit of that with him, the cock of the head, the, oh, gee, you know. So I think it is difficult for Americans who do not have a direct experience of the police state. Now, sure, if you hear the whir of helicopters over your house and they come through your door, it's a rude awakening, and then you begin to see the world a little differently. But if it hasn't happened to you, there's a tendency to believe that it won't. It can't happen here. This is America, after all, People are looking for sort of the Stalin overcoat, the Hitler mustache. Does that make it more difficult? I mean, even for you as a journalist to penetrate through to people and say, no, something very different is happening. This is not the America we grew up in. I think it is. And Dinesh, I think our challenge on the right 
is that we are the party of law and order. We are the party of the rule of law. We are the party of equal justice. And um, so I think it's hard to disabuse people on the right that there are law enforcement agencies in this country who are actively working against you, uh, that there are bad cops, that there are bad prosecutors, that there are bad judges. Uh, the legal and judicial system that we were raised believing in is totally corrupted. And we could talk a little bit about what I see regularly at the D.C. federal courthouse. And that is the crux of what's happening uh, in our nation's capital. Uh, these ongoing jury trials, the prosecution of Donald Trump in both Washington, D.C. and Southern District of Florida on federal criminal charges. And as you know, Donald Trump always said, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. Well, here is the situation. So I do think it's a little more challenging to convince our fellow travelers on the right that this is actually happening. Now, the flip side, of course, Dinesh, is we see the same party that bent the knee to George Floyd uh, defund the police movement, who for decades distrusted the FBI. Now, all of a sudden, they're the FBI's biggest cheerleaders. So we have this really weird polar opposite now happening uh, in both political parties. Uh, but of course, the left embraces this because they believe that they will be protected from this police state and only target the right. But Dinesh, you know, as a um, expert of history, that is not what happens. And eventually this police state comes for its own. Yeah, it seems, Julie, that with regard to the left, the people who are helping to build the police state enjoy a temporary immunity to it. And in fact, they know about that, right? When Jamal Bowman pulled the fire extinguisher, I'm sure it didn't cross his mind for one second that he would be arrested, he would be charged, he would be confined. He knew to that degree he was above the law, didn't he? He absolutely did. And he has not, there's been no criminal referral to the Department, <laughs> Department of Justice or Matthew Graves, the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, who is in the process of prosecuting 1,100 Americans and counting for a four-hour protest that happened almost three years ago. Furthermore, Dinesh, think of what happened last week in the Cannon House office building, hundreds of pro-Hamas, I called it the Hamas erection, in the Cannon office building, Capitol Police made an announcement, you are not to demonstrate in a in a house office building, but there they were. They were assaulting police officers. You saw the confrontation with those two lunatics who went after Marjorie Taylor Greene. They, to my knowledge, are not have not been arrested. I've asked Capitol Police phone call and email for an update on arrests, particularly those two individuals who tried to physically attack Marjorie Taylor Greene. No response. Also, you had three demonstrators who interrupted an official proceeding, and that was the Senate Foreign Relations hearing that was also happening that day. Now, they weren't hauled off to a D.C. gulag. They weren't charged with a felony like obstruction of an official proceeding, punishable by up to 20 years in prison. That felony is only reserved for the 300 plus Americans who protested on January 6th, not for those people who got far closer to lawmakers than anyone on January 6th. So you are absolutely correct, whether it's Representative Jamal Bowman, whether it's hundreds of uh, pro-Hamas uh, anti-Semites in the House uh, office, Cannon Office Building or Senate. Of course, they know that they will be protected and they have. 
That entire demonstration last week has been completely dropped, not just apparently by DOJ and Capitol Police, but of course, by the media as well. We'll be right back with Julie Kelly. Last month, the G20 announced that it welcomed discussion of the effects of implementing central bank digital currencies in their countries. These digital currencies could allow the government to track every purchase you make. They could even allow officials to prohibit you from purchasing certain products or freeze or even seize part or all of your money. In essence, the government controls your finances. Not good. Concerned Americans like me are diversifying our assets into physical gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. If you want a physical asset held in a tax-sheltered retirement account, you should call Birch Gold. Debbie and I are customers. We buy our gold through Birch Gold. But find out for yourself. Text Dinesh to 989898. They'll send you a free information kit on gold. Here's the easiest way to become a Birch Gold customer. If you have an IRA or a 401k from a previous employer, Birch Gold can help you convert it into an IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text Dinesh to 989898, claim your free information kit on gold, then call Birch Gold because if digital currency becomes a reality, it'll be nice to have some gold to fall back on. I'm back with investigative journalist Julie Kelly. Uh, we're talking about uh, January 6th, but also about other related issues. She's featured in the new film Police State. She also, by the way, does a substack. It's called Declassified with Julie Kelly. Uh, Julie, you were talking about this kind of double standard of treatment that can be seen in so many different areas. They're going after Trump. They don't go after Biden. The contrast between January 6th and the Antifa BLM protesters. And it seems that from the police state point of view, it isn't really a double standard. It's a single standard. That is that they help their friends and they go after their enemies. So from the point of view of the police state itself, and let's just look at it from the point of view of these corrupted agencies, the Democrats are helping them. So if the Democrats cover up the crimes of the police state, the police state will cover up the crimes of the Democrats. And conversely, Trump, the patriots, the the Christians, the Republicans, the conservatives are a potential obstacle to the police state. And so they become its its, um, inevitable targets. Do you think, do you agree with that assessment? Oh, absolutely. And we see this playing out in real time. And you touched on it in the film. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. was the FBI Mm -hmm. burying the evidence of Hunter Biden's laptop, which they obtained Mm -hmm. in December of 2019. And then these deep state creatures, the 51 alleged intelligence officials who said that this looked like a Russian disinformation campaign Mm -hmm. to further protect that. But we see that playing out now. We see now so much evidence about the Biden family crime racket, how Joe Biden has benefited directly, certainly all of his family members, including his brother and his grandchildren, uh, uh, certainly his son, benefiting from being enriched by, what, up to $20 million from hostile states like China and Russia uh, and other places, of course, like Ukraine, Mexico, Kazakhstan, et cetera, that House Republicans have unveiled. They're, They're not touching it. I mean, we have this phony, uh, you know, then you have the classified documents investigation, special counsel, Robert Herr. We've heard nothing really about that investigation. Meantime, Donald Trump is trying to defend himself in two criminal cases. And what Donald Trump just filed last night, uh, Dinesh, was a motion to dismiss the election interference, January 6th indictment in Washington, D.C., 
based on, of course, First Amendment rights and others such as he already went to trial on this, of course, during the impeachment process. And that is the way that you handle presidents you believe are guilty of criminal behavior. But Dinesh, what's interesting is the footnotes, and I posted this on Twitter this morning, is Donald Trump, just his lawyers just scratched the surface of those in 2016, including Hillary Clinton, who to this day uh, denies the fact that the 2016 election was legitimate. So they just scratched the surface of all of the Democratic lawmakers and corporate media types who insisted for years that Donald Trump's campaign was in cahoots with Vladimir Putin to steal the election from Hillary Clinton. So if what Donald Trump was doing, talking about election fraud, which we know is legitimate, um, if that is criminal behavior, then certainly there are thousands of perpetrators out there who continue to do the same about the 2016 election. I mean, I love the way that the media in covering for Biden keeps moving the standard. So initially it was Biden has nothing to do with this. Then the next line was, well, he does have something to do with this. He not only was in on phone calls, but he was in on meetings. But this was only because of his uncontrolled affection for his son. (laughs) He's trying to help out his son who's living a difficult life. Once that sort of started to crumble, that Biden himself is now benefiting and and family members are benefiting, the idea is that, well, but that's just his family members, as if to say in a bribery operation, paying off the family members doesn't constitute a benefit to Joe Biden. I mean, it's so obvious that, I mean, and I know the Chinese do this, by the way, all over Asia, they recognize (laughs) that there may be laws that prevent the elected official from getting straight cash into his pocket. So they start paying off the uncles, the nephews, the wives. And so and this is a way of enriching the family. It's it's an acknowledged form of bribery. And yet there's a sort of feigned innocence on the part of the media. Where is the check from the Chinese premier to Joe Biden that in the little memorandum column says bribe? They're waiting for that. And short of that, They're like, Biden's in the clear. We'll be right back with Julie Kelly. Debbie and I started taking Relief Factor a couple of years ago, and what a difference we've seen in our joints. Nothing short of amazing aches and pains are totally gone thanks to this 100% drug-free solution called Relief Factor. How does it work? Relief Factor supports your body's fight against inflammation that's the source of aches and pains. More than a million people have tried Relief Factor, and about 70%, the vast majority, have gone on to order more. Debbie's a true believer. She can now do exercises, push-ups, and planks, and so on, that for a long time, she wasn't able to do. So Relief Factor's been a real game-changer for her, her aunt, other members of our family, and for many other people. You too can benefit. Try it for yourself. Order the three-week quick start for the discounted price of just nineteen ninety-five. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF to find out more about this offer. The number again to call, 800-4-RELIEF or go to relieffactor.com. Feel the difference. I'm back with investigative journalist Julie Kelly. We're talking about, um, well, we're talking about Trump and Biden. And Julie, you are about to say regarding this check to Joe Biden... Um, go ahead. Right. So this is part of Representative or Chairman James Comer's investigation into the Biden family. <laughs> so what he just released was a check, a copy of a check from Jim and Sarah Biden, uh, Joe Biden's brother, who's involved <laughs> in all sorts of shady business deals himself, uh, a payment of two hundred thousand dollars. And he just wrote at the bottom of the check loan 
payment. So that was enough for the media. Of course, they're not doing any more deep digging. What was this loan for? It was in 2018. Where did Joe Biden, who just finished being vice president and his entire life working in government, where did he get $200,000 to loan his brother? Why did he? Um, but apparently that's all you need to satisfy the media in curious compliant media is just show a check that says loan payment and, and that's enough. No, no more questions asked. Julie, you have been, uh, of late in the courtroom a lot. You were in the courtroom for a lot of the January and are a lot of the January 6 proceedings. Um, let's talk about just your experience yeah. as, you know, an observer. You're watching a process that outwardly is very lawful. You've got judges, you've got bailiffs, you've got serene and dignified court proceedings going on and <laughs> objection, Your Honor. So the, the formalities are being observed. But isn't it the case that there's a certain kind of, I don't know if naked brutality is the right word, but it's almost like you've got the shell, but you don't have the substance of genuine law and justice. What do you think? I think that's uh, very well said. Uh, I would take it even further than that. What I see in this courtroom is, uh, in a way, sadistic. I see government prosecutors who absolutely hate Trump supporters. I see the same sort of contempt from federal judges, whether they're Trump-appointed judges, all the way down to Reagan-appointed judges, and of course, Obama, and a handful of Biden uh, judges. It is really, I call it the judicial and legal circle of hell for these defendants. And this is exactly what Donald Trump is going to be facing as well. So I was in the courtroom last week, uh, the deliberations over the proposed gag order on President Trump. And Dinesh, at one point, you have Tanya Chutkin, uh, who is obviously appointed by Obama and an unelected bureaucrat assistant pro- uh, prosecutor, Molly Gaston, and they're actually debating whether Donald Trump can say crooked Joe Biden on the campaign trail, whether that would violate Jack Smith's gag order. And you're sitting in this courtroom like, this is surreal. How is this happening in America? They're talking about not just a former president, what he can say, but of course, the presumptive Republican presidential candidate running against the man who launched this entire investigation into him. So that's the sort of thing that uh, that I see routinely. But it's just uh, it really they should have cameras in these courtrooms. If they did, the American people, I think even people on the left would be horrified at the treatment of these basic, you know, just good patriotic Americans, some of whom acted very badly on January 6th, but otherwise, um, you know, have led really good lives and contributed to society and how they are treated by these prosecutors and judges, absolutely un-American, unconstitutional, and outrageous. Julie, let's try to be a little bit philosophical about this, because the founders thought that by having these devices of separation of powers and checks and balances, so for example, the prosecutor might be a sadist, he wants to go after, let's say, a January 6th defendant, but the job of a judge is, hey, I've got to make sure this proceeding is fair. The job of a jury is you pick up random guys from the community. They're supposed to have be coming in without prejudice or bias, listening to the facts of the case. How is this process that at least in principle appears to be pretty sound, at least the best you can do, broken down so radically in your opinion? 
Because the judges and prosecutors, of course, who have led their, lived their entire professional careers in Washington, D.C., they view the events of January 6th, that these people entered their mm-hmm. personal mm-hmm. and professional fiefdom, not that Washington, D.C. belongs to all Americans. It belongs to them. They are mortally offended that Americans from outside of Washington, D.C. dared to come to this city in support of a president who they also hate. I mean, Dinesh, I have heard judges say to a defendant, you drove here all the way from Texas. to so You drove here all the way from Florida. Well, of course they did. They're American citizens. And they went to support really what they viewed was going to be the last speech given by a president that, that they love and that they voted for. Um, and so it, they really are, were, are just appalled at these hundreds of thousands of people who came in. So you see this playing out in the court proceedings. Judges who condemn these people, these Americans, for daring to come into their little fiefdom. Um, but to your point, their responsibility is to protect the rights of the defendant from overreach by the government. That is not what is happening. These judges are nothing more than a rubber stamp. As one defense attorney said, it's like fighting an extra um, lawyer on the prosecution side. Um, I have seen very little pushback from any of these judges against the government, whether it's hiding exculpatory evidence, refusing to turn over video evidence, um, hiding documentation, including FBI forms, et cetera, um, covering up testimony that was going to be damaging. And I especially saw this play out in the Proud Boys trial, bogus charges, Democrat uh, juries and rubber stamp judges, everyone who encounters this. Uh, their lives are ruined and destroyed, and these people are gratified seeing it happen. We'll be right back for a final segment with Julie Kelly. Debbie and I are on a really good health journey, but we still struggle to eat enough fruits, veggies, and fiber, and those are a requirement. Now, lucky for us, we discovered Balance of Nature, and there's no better way to get all your fruits and veggies plus fiber than with Balance of Nature. This is Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule, so easy to take, made from fresh whole produce. The produce is powdered after an advanced vacuum cold process, which stabilizes the maximum nutrient content. And this is Balance of Nature's Fiber and Spice, a proprietary blend of fiber and 12 spices for overall and digestive health. Join Debbie and me. Start your journey to better health right now. Call 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. You get 35% off your first preferred order by using discount code AMERICA. Again, it's balanceofnature.com or call 800-246-8751. Get 35% off your first preferred order by using discount code AMERICA. I'm back with Julie Kelly. Um, Julie, we, you were talking uh, a moment ago in the, in the short break about um, a mother of eight who got a severe, uh, really a horrific sentence. Describe who that was, what she did, and what the sentence was. So her name is Rachel Powell. Um, she was charged and then convicted, of course, in Washington, D.C. on numerous charges. There's no question that she acted badly on January 6th. She broke a window, which is a misdemeanor offense, but considered, you know, a, a criminal felony in January 6th cases. So there's no question for three hours on January 6th, she acted badly. She has no criminal record. She's the mother of eight. She has been on home detention for more than two years by uh, imposed by the court. Her judge is Royce Lambert. 
I know you know that name, appointed by Ronald Reagan. He can't even get out of his chair without help. He uses a walker, but Lord, God forbid that he relinquish his power on that court, give it to somebody else. Um, and he had no mercy on Rachel Powell, sentenced her to 57 months in prison, even though she has eight children, I think six grandchildren, and told the court if she went to prison, her 15-year-old son would be responsible basically for managing the family. She's a single mother. And here's Royce Lambert, um, you know, basically crippled. I, I guess he was falling asleep during parts of the trial, I'm told sentenced her to almost five years in jail. So it's not just what's happening to Donald Trump. It's what what's happening to Americans like Rachel Powell, also even more infuriating. I mean, in some ways, Julie, I think to myself, these people who, not just judges, but FBI agents, you've got, you're going to have people who are pretty normal guys with maybe a military background, a wife, three, you know, three bedroom house, and and yet that's the same FBI guy who kicks in the door, grabs a 70-year-old grandmother, pulls her by the hair to the ground, twists her arms behind her back, puts handcuffs on her. If she resists, pulls her down the stairs into the street where her neighbors gawk at her. I mean, how do you get a decent person to do these horrific things? I mean, that to me is one of the mysteries of a police state. If a police state were merely made up of cartoon villains, we'd be like, oh, okay, well, this is... These are just basically demons in disguise who are running our country. But evidently, it is demons in disguise, but they're working in concert with normal people who are recruited into the enterprise. And I'm kind of assuming that this Royce Lambert guy is one of them. He probably thinks that he's standing up for truth, justice, and the American way. He really does. And, you know, I hear these judges describe January 6th. This was unprecedented. You know, Royce Lambert was saying we are still suffering the consequences of what happened on January 6th. This altered the fabric of our country. That's another thing I heard Judge Ahmet Mehta say. I mean, their over dramatization of what happened on January 6th. Now, of course, their anger is misplaced. They're not angry at uh, Nancy Pelosi for refusing to protect the Capitol. They're not angry at Capitol Police sergeants or the sergeant at arms who were responsible for protecting the Capitol. They're not angry at Muriel Bowser for not keeping the city safe that, that day. They're mad at Donald Trump and they're angry at these people who supported him. There was a judge, I just posted this, Chris Cooper, who I was also in his courtroom last week when he sentenced Ryan Kelly, a Republican um, candidate for uh, governor of Michigan, sentenced him to 60 days in prison. He said in a sentencing hearing last year that four cops were killed on January 6th. This is a federal judge making up a story about what happened on January 6th, that four cops were killed. Of course, that's not the case at all. But there's no accountability. Um, so this is playing out in, in real time in the nation's capital. No accountability for these judges, no accountability for these prosecutors. No Republicans are stepping up. Marjorie Taylor Greene is the only Republican who's been to any of these hearings. And she went to the gag order hearing with me. Um, but they're not trying to cut off funding to the D.C. District Court House, certainly to Matthew Graves' office or anyone at DOJ or FBI. So this is why they are empowered. And to your point, the individuals who do this, they want their pension, they want their job security, and they don't have to go the guts to go up against the state. A handful have like Steve and Kyle and George who are in the film, but otherwise they're just little soldiers of the police state. And obviously they 
They have a clear conscience doing that. Guys, you've heard the kind of stuff from Julie Kelly that is in this movie, uh, Police State, the website, uh, policestatefilm.net. Tomorrow, the last day the film is in theaters. So Wednesday, October 25th. But Friday, October 27th is the virtual premiere. You can watch from home. It's the full screening of the film, live Q&A with Dan Bongino and me to follow, and all for the price of a movie ticket. Julie Kelly, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for all that you do, you and Debbie. Thank you so much, Tanash. Hey, guys, with the new movie right around the corner, it's out in theaters, but it is coming to locals, and it's coming to locals this coming weekend. In fact, this weekend, it's exclusively on Rumble and on Locals, and so it's a great time to join my Locals channel. If you become an annual subscriber, you get this movie and all my earlier, well, 2,000 Mules and other movies I put up on my movie page for free. I post a lot of exclusive content on Locals, content that is often censored on other social media platforms. On Locals, you get Dinesh Unchained, Dinesh Uncensored. You can also interact with me directly. In fact, I'll be doing some live Q&As just about the film itself. I do it every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern. No topic is off limits. It's tonight. I've also uploaded some very cool films to Locals, documentaries, feature films, my films, films by other independent producers, including 2,000 Mules. On the new film, you'll be getting the inside scoop on Locals. And as I mentioned, if you're an annual subscriber, you can stream and watch for free. So check out the channel. It's Dinesh.Locals.com. I'd love to have you along for this great ride. Again, it's Dinesh.Locals.com. I want to talk about something that is sidelined with the Hamas attacks on Israel. The focus has been on Israel, on Hamas. Uh, on the retaliation that Israel is launching and also is um, likely to escalate. But the actor that has gone not completely ignored or neglected, but certainly downplayed, is Iran. And from the beginning of these attacks, Iran's role has been pretty well charted and pretty well documented. Uh very thorough Wall Street Journal expose, really noting that Iran was where these attacks were sort of concocted, planned, uh, and the blueprints were done in Tehran in collaboration, of course, with Hamas, which was the instrument of carrying them out. Now, it turns out there is a very interesting Iran cabal that has been operating inside the United States. I'm talking about pretty high-level figures in the Biden regime, but also around Washington, D.C., that are recruited by into this Iran network to promote the objectives of Iran. All of this, by the way, goes back to Obama. It goes back to Obama's uh, Iran deal, and I should probably do, I uh, might do this um, uh, later this week or maybe even tomorrow, uh, Obama was very consciously empowering Iran at the expense of the other countries in the Middle East. He saw Iran, in a sense, as representing his own ideal of what the Middle East should look like. In other words, a fanatical, 
a power that is anti-American, anti-Israel, and Obama was like, right on, I got to support these guys. Now, he couldn't say that openly, so he had to, in some ways, say the exact opposite. Oh, I'm making an Iran deal to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon, even though the deal is, was orchestrated in a way, I'm going to give, give Iran all these benefits, I'm going to give them shovelfuls and packetfuls of money, uh, and then I'm going to put in restrictions that they can do this and they can do that, but those will have sunset clauses, which means the restrictions will will lapse. So all of this started under Obama, but it's continued under Biden. Now, Debbie would be like, of course, that's because guess who's having a third term here in America? And, and that is um, that is a real possibility. I don't want to discount that for a moment. The Biden administration has suspended its Iran envoy, Robert Malley. Why? Because apparently this guy, and by the way, this hasn't gotten a whole lot of press coverage. There have been a few news reports, but not many. And think of the significance of this. A high level officials in the, in the Biden regime has been suspended for supporting, helping to fund and direct a whole Iranian intelligence operation designed to influence the U.S. government and other allied governments in Iran's favor. Now, uh, how does this guy operate? Well, basically, the way he operates is he brings in other uh, pro-Iranian figures, figures that actually have a history of uh, collaborating with Iran, uh, opposing Israel, opposing U.S. policy or these previous U.S. policy, and pull these people into various strategic bureaucratic positions in the Pentagon, in the State Department, so that they're now able to shape and influence Iran policy. There's a whole bunch of emails that have now come out between the Iranian regime, which is to say between the officials of Iran and this kind of Iran network operating in the United States and in the Biden regime. And what the emails show is that the Iranian government set up inside of its own foreign ministry, a kind of propaganda operation. How do we influence things inside the United States? I mean, just think of the audacity of this and also think of the, well, you have to have a certain respect for its creativity because are there going to be officials in the U.S. government go, hey, listen, how do we get people into the Iranian parliament? How do we get, get, get people who can not only go into the Iranian government but then pull in other pro-American people into the Iranian government. We wouldn't even dream of doing this. We don't know how to do it. We wouldn't know how to begin doing it. And so we rely on things like, oh, we have intelligence satellites or keeping an eye on the Iranian. That's, this is kind of all we do. But look at these guys. They're like, okay, we think we can get somebody in at a high level in the Biden administration. This guy is now going to work with people at think tanks, people in the media who are pro-Iranian. Essentially, we will have an Iranian network operating inside the United States. And this network, by the way, includes Iranian-American academics that have been recruited, in some cases, from Iran, in some cases, from other foreign countries to the United States, but they are they are part of this Iran kind of propaganda operation. And so how the game in Washington, D.C. works is you've got someone in the government, they want to promote a policy, so they produce a study. Hey, an independent academic has produced a study saying that this is the sensible way to go, but the study itself is from an academic who's part of the Iran network. So uh, Dan Bongino has been tweeting out the last few days, the enemy is here, and I think that is true in many, many different ways. It can be understood as the enemy at home. It can be understood as the police state itself, the the threat coming to American citizens and our liberties from aspects and, and, and agencies of our own government. But I think it also means that the foreign enemy is here 
obviously in disguised form, not wearing, you know, a burqa, uh, not wearing a kind of big Iranian garb, but actually wearing Western clothes and even speaking with a Western accent, but promoting Iranian objectives. I'm in the section of Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago where we're talking about various strategies of interrogation used by the Soviet police state. And one of them, says Solzhenitsyn, this is number eight on his list, and I'm going through the list but not quite in order, not covering every single one. This is called the lie. And Solzhenitsyn says, we lambs, we lambs were forbidden to lie. But the interrogator could tell all the lies he felt like. Now, it should be emphasized that this ability to lie is not a unique characteristic of the Soviet Union, of the Soviet police state. It applies to us in America right now. If you're brought in for questioning uh, by the cops or by interrogators of any sort, they are free to lie to you. They can say things like, well, we have your DNA evidence on the scene. And even though they don't, uh, they're using it as a ruse to get you to confess. Now, normally, if you, well, if you did it, and maybe the ruse works, and maybe that should be permitted under some circumstances, but there are also people who, when they are trapped in this way, will confess to things that they didn't do. And that's the fallacy here. That's the problem here, which is that when you, you allow the authorities to lie, you create all kinds of problems with the judicial system. Here's Solzhenitsyn again. He could confront us with as many documents as he chose, bearing the forged signatures of our kinfolk and friends, and it would be just another skillful interrogation technique. So think about this. They're producing a document signed by your wife saying you did this, and you're like so demoralized, you'll... You know, you can almost say anything. That's the point. They want you to say anything. And that's the, that's the, the way in which lies are, are deployed to get you to lie against your own interest. Intimidation through enticement and lies was the fundamental method for bringing pressure on the relatives of the arrested person when they were called in to give live testimony. Hey, if you don't tell us such and such, whatever's being asked, it's going to be the worst for him. So you're not under arrest. He's under arrest. But if you don't tell us what we want to hear, he's going to be worse off. Now, that in itself is a lie because he's going to be worse off anyway. In fact, the reason we want you to tell us this stuff is so we can then use it against him. But nevertheless, we're playing on your feelings in the situation. So you're like, oh, I better, I better try to make life easier for him. And you're actually not. You're making life worse. Um, signing this paper is the only way you can save him. Same thing. Uh, they're actually using what you sign to make the guy's life worse. But they're telling you, listen, if you if you sign, you're gonna you're really gonna be helping this guy. Not true. Um, now, Solzhenitsyn now goes into ways in which relatives and even children are deployed against the defendant in a very strategic ways. And again. We're describing something that may seem in a little extreme the way it's used in the Soviet Union, but the same thing is done even now by our emerging police state. It's just done in a more subtle way. So let's let's go to Solzhenitsyn. Your wife has already been arrested, but her fate depends on you. So you're under arrest, and they tell you, "Hey, listen, we all we also got your wife, and uh, she has uh, she's being questioned in the next room. Just listen." And then writes Solzhenitsyn. And through the wall, you can actually hear a woman weeping and screaming. 
And then Solzhenitsyn says, after all, they sound alike. You're hearing it through a wall. You're under terrific strain and not in a state to play the expert on voice identification. He goes, sometimes they play a recording of the voice of a typical wife. And he says, and then without fakery, they actually show her to you through a glass door as she walks along in silence, her head bent in grief. Your own wife in the corridors of state security, you have destroyed her by your stubbornness. She has already been arrested. Then says Solzhenitsyn, in reality, she hasn't. He goes, in actual fact, she has simply been summoned in connection with some insignificant procedural question. She's sent through the corridor at the just the right moment after being told, hey, listen, don't raise your head because if you raise your head, you're going to be kept here. And so she walks through. It's a completely staged event that is done to do what? To break down your morale. So here we get to what police states are about. They're about turning the whole country into a prison. They're turning everyone into a prisoner or a potential prisoner. They're breaking down your resistance, which is another way of saying they're breaking down your independent spirit. They're breaking down your individuality. And to do this, Solzhenitsyn, they rely on a sort of plethora, a wide range of techniques that include, here's number 10, sound effects, all kinds of weird sounds that are supposed to dizzy you, frustrate you, exhaust you. And remember, they're counting on you to be in an already depleted condition. Tickling. Solzhenitsyn even has a little section, it's just a few lines long, where they use a feather to tickle you. And again, the idea here is to disrupt you, to put you in a situation where you're, you feel that the world has turned surreal on you and you're out of, think of what it means to be tickled. You're sort of out of control. You don't even control your own emotions. You're laughing, you're giggling, you're twisting, and it's all involuntarily. In a, in a sense, what the police state is doing is not just dehumanizing you, but turning you into an object. And this is its primary goal. Subscribe to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify, or watch on Rumble, YouTube, and SalemNow.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.